Welcome to The Hive. You're listening to 90.7 FM, KSQD in Santa Cruz. And I'm your guest host, Erin Redfern. And I'm Farnas Fatimi. We're happy to have with us today, recently appointed Los Gatos Poet Laureate, Jen Ziraganian. Jen is a writer, educator, and literary organizer. She served as, as managing director for Litquake, San Francisco's literary Literary Festival. She's been nominated for a Ruth Lilly Fellowship and a Pushcart Prize, earned scholarships from Community of Writers at Squaw Valley and Napa Valley Writers Conference, and authored a poetry chapbook titled Fracture. Her writing has appeared in Best New Poets 2016, Cream City Review, Mid American Review, Smartish Pace, Barrow Street, Southwest Review, Not Somewhere Else But Here, a Contemporary Anthology of Women in Place and other literary journals and anthologies. Jen, thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us today about your poems and process. Will you start us off with your poem, When a Turk is in the Hostile Kitchen? Of course, and thank you, Farnaz and Aaron, for having me. Super excited to be here. Uh, so the first poem is, yes, called When a Turk is in the Hostile Kitchen. When a Turk is in the Hostile Kitchen and you're holding a knife, you consider pressing the serrated edge against his cleanly shaven throat. If you did, could you claim insanity? Your Armenian grandmother's great uncles inhabiting your brain. He offers you Turkish coffee. Two women are roasting chicken. You still haven't found anyone to join you in the hot tub. The desk clerk says, pool rules forbid soaking alone. Drowning is more common than you think, he mutters. The women now kissing say no. The Turk asks, what is a hot tub? Minutes later, steam floats over the Pacific. He is next to you. The ocean home to neither of you. He asks if you speak any languages. You say Armenian. And he says, wait, you're Armenian? You're okay with Turks? You laugh. You don't mention you almost slit his throat. The lights flicker. He offers his towel. Yours fell into the tub. At the gravel driveway, he takes off his running shoes and he tells you to wear them to protect your feet. That was Jen Saraganian reading her poem, When a Turk is in the Hostel Kitchen. Many of your poems, Jen, are a mix of lyric and narrative. In this poem, we see a tight control of narrative in terms of what pieces of the story you keep and which you take out. How do you go about determining how much narrative a poem needs to do its work? Uh, yeah, thanks, Erin. I think, I mean, I've always been really drawn into storytelling. Um, I think that's something that ever since I was a little kid, I, I loved writing stories. I loved hearing stories, crafting um, my own little sort of illustrated little books and things like that. Um, so to be honest, poetry is not, it's not like poetry came naturally to me. Um, definitely stories was more my, my jam. Um, 
And so even today, when I think about like what, what I'm, what I'm, you know, I'm drawn to in terms of my reading, I read fiction more than poetry, to be honest. Um, I love novels. I love really, um, those immersive experiences where you can start reading a short story or a play or a novel and just become completely consumed um, in that world. And then you don't want to leave it, right? Like you're like, you're like, no, 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 no. Like you want to get to the last page, but you don't want to get to the last page because you're soaked into it. So when I write poetry, I try to do the same thing. Like I'm really trying to craft a story and help the reader enter this world obviously with poetry, you, you don't have the same amount of, um, you know, you don't have that, that volume, the, the space to, to let the reader be there for a long period of time. So it's short. I mean, right. This poem is only like a minute or two, but, um, I'm still trying to draw, draw that reader, that listener in to make him or her feel like they're in that hostel with me. And, um, so they can sort of feel like they're part of that, that story. Um, and I just, I, I want to bring, I think what I, what I love about narrative is, right, it brings you to a place where you weren't in the beginning. So my hope is that I'm bringing that, that reader to a different place by the end of the page. Um, and that's why I just sort of see it like that kind of journey that I'm allowing that, that reader to go on. Um, do you... You, you've said in an interview that you started by writing prose and you, you, then you fell in love with poetry. Is it, is there something, is there a reason that you're using poetry versus stories that to tell stories, is there something about the way that poetry does it, that fiction doesn't? Yeah. I mean, I think compression always appeals to me, right? Like I do really enjoy that sense of you know, when I write, I just write, write, write. I write these just like stream of consciousness, sort of like vomit of the mouth on the page. Like that is what it looks like. And then I go through and I just start cutting, 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 cutting um, to try to find the music, to try to find the lyricism in it. Mm. Um, I have a super short attention span. And so I think that's part of why I've never really been successful at writing all my attempts at writing um, short stories and even like ideas of novels and things like that have not really come to fruition because um I I get distracted and I want to do something else and then something else excites me and then I start doing something else and so um so I think that's why the poet poetry really appeals to me because you can just pick these little moments these snapshots and try to just like grab them hold on to them and then um, display them in this way um, that, yeah, where I've had people say like, well, why don't you write a short story about, you know, something like this, for instance, right? This could be potentially a short story. Um, and and I sort of, I, I think like a poet, the poet poem form to me feels like it just fits much better. Um, and obviously I can also play, play more with white space, play more with um, language in a way that, um, that I think is just really exhilarating and fun. Oh, that's so interesting. So um, Jen, you did your MFA work at the University of Arkansas. What was it like to develop your craft in um, what you're gonna call in the next poem, the bowels of the country? Uh, it was perfect. It was, it was, to be honest, it was, um, I couldn't have picked a better program for me. Um, I, to, I first, I really, thought I was going to move up to San Francisco. I had heard all these amazing, obviously all the things that were true about the Bay area. That was really this, um, kind of had this literary pull 
to me. And, um, and I got into SF State and I considered attending SF State's um, MFA program and actually visited. I was living in Boston at the time and I visited. And um, first thing is, honestly, I had to take out, um, they wanted me to take out full funding. And I was like, well, it's, you know, like a three-year program. And do I really want to go into debt to become a poet? Um, and the answer at the time was like, I don't know. I mean, I was like 23. And so that sort of scared me. And University of Arkansas offered me a full ride. And, um, and it also, so I'd be able to teach for four years when I was there. And they had this program called the Writers in the Schools Program, which is um, basically, they place poets and fiction writers who are in the graduate program um, in these different residencies in all these elementary, middle and high schools throughout the state. And um, I just thought that was like the coolest thing. I think part of I've always been really um, excited by like social activism and and really having some kind of impact in the world. Um, and so I didn't wanna just go to grad school to sort of write poems about myself. And, um, and I wanted to do something else and I guess give in some way. And I think Arkansas, which was, you know, I was also always fascinated by the, by the, the South. I never lived in the South, um, but when I moved there, uh, very different. Than where I know I was living, I've always lived on the East Coast and um, very different culturally. Um, Fayetteville itself was a very like progressive college town. Um, you know, the mayor rides a bike around town and um, everyone gathers, gathers the farmer's market on the weekends. And um, it's just a really sweet, sweet uh, town. And, um, and so it really fit and, and was wonderful. And so when I got there, um, I just, you know, obviously the grad school was this real, um, became this new home for me. And then I became really involved in WIT, that Writers in the Schools program, and then became co-director for the next three years, um, where I basically then uh, organized organized these residencies, worked with schools all over the state. Um, and what I really liked too is the school was, um, you know, we're getting funding from the Walton Foundation, right? The the founders of Walmart. Um, and so I sort of love this idea of using like corporate money to teach poetry to really poor kids in like in the Delta region. Um, I was like, what better way to sort of like, I don't know, use, use redistribute. Money. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was paying poets to basically um, go to these schools where these were kids who like had never written a poem, who never maybe even left the town where they lived. And these were towns where um, you know, like we would go and you, the closest hotel was like an hour away. And, uh, cause there were towns without grocery stores or any, I mean, no stoplights. It was just these little teeny tiny towns. And, uh, and we teach poetry for two days and, um, and it was amazing. It was incredible. You know, if I could do that forever, I would totally do that. Um, it was just really, uh, beautiful kind of, uh, merging of, of sort of a lot of my passions. So will you read us a poem that is set in that time and place in your life? Yeah, no, I'd love to. This poem is called Armenian Restaurant in Arkansas. They served wine from California, never France. Advertised the menu as Mediterranean, not Middle Eastern. They understood their clientele. One waiter smoked meth in the bathroom. Another read Proust while I refilled his table's water glasses. Return me to my black apron with its beige smears of baba ganoush and salty stench of feta in its brine. I know the real reason I worked there, not what I convinced myself at the time to earn cash to travel to Prague and Bratislava. No, I was a purple wound, a cracked hull, 
escaping into the bowels of the country. I hadn't spoken to my family in four years. A square of charred eggplant where the mint of tabbouleh slipped onto the tongue was the only way I could taste home. And that was Jen Sarganian reading her poem, Armenian Restaurant in Arkansas. And as a reminder, you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on 90.7 KSQD in Santa Cruz. We're your hosts, Farnas Fatemi, and I'm with Aaron Redfern talking with our guest tonight, Los Gatos Poet Laureate, Jen Sarganian. And Jen, I hear several kinds of exile in the lines, return me to my black apron, escaping into the bowels of the country, and the only way I could taste home. The speaker's awareness of an attitude toward exile have changed since she wore her black apron with its beige smears of Baba Ganoush. Do you find that firmly locating a poem place allows you to more easily move back and forth in time or between different internal states? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, right, so much of what I'm trying to explore in poetry is this, is this sense of, um, disorientation and of not quite fitting in. I mean, I came from just a, with my background itself was, was always sort of interesting because my, I mean, my dad's Armenian, but grew up in um, Syria and Lebanon and Palestine and then married my mom uh, who's American. And so I, I never quite, I'll say I'd like to, to admit, like I never quite fit in to either family, right? Like I never really quite in, fit into my dad's family who uh, most of my cousins were um, like 100% Armenian and they grew up speaking the language and being very um, immersed in the culture and the church. And then, um, and I don't look Armenian. And so that makes it very different too. Um, and then, but I also never really fit into the other side too, where I never felt fully like, uh, I don't know, you call it like Ohioan, you know, white American too, because that was very different too, right? Like my grandparents live in the Middle East and don't speak English. And um, and so so just, I always felt like I was sort of straddling these different um, identities and then, um, but also adopting different identities. I think I became very good at, at sort of code switching, which I later learned about and everything um, of how to be a certain way with dirt, certain people um, and, and, and also compartmentalizing. You know, where a lot of people just don't know certain things about me. Um, that's still sort of true, I think, too, um, because um, I don't know. And, and so I think when I moved to Arkansas, and again, sort of felt like, okay, this is this is so foreign to me, um, but I can make it work too. And I even sort of like adopted this kind of even like southern. You know, so I would pronounce certain words with a kind of southern drawl at times and things after like living there. Um, and I'm like, is that affectation or is that just sort of my way of like? Well, that's sort of how I survive in places. I just try to like fit into wherever I am at the time because like I never quite fit in. So I'm trying so hard to to really be um, a part of, of my surroundings. Um, and so, so yeah, so Arkansas was a very interesting experience for me, for sure. And I think that was why it just sort of felt like this weird universe, this collision of the universe that happened that then this Armenian restaurant opened um, like a half a mile from the university. And I, you know, was, was living in Arkansas at the time and I really wanted to travel in the summers. Um, and like, I was like, I need to travel. Like this is the time to do it, right? Like I'm in my mid twenties. And um, so I'm like, I'm gonna just start working at this restaurant 
and make money. And, um, and I used the money to go and I flew to Eastern Europe and backpacked around and did the whole, I did it much later. I knew most people did that in like college. Um, so that was more like mid twenties. And I'm like, no, I want to get that, you know, hostile experience of jumping around with your backpack. And, um, and so it was totally worth it. Uh, but then yes, also to have that sense of like this crazy, bizarre, um, placement of this Armenian restaurant, um, that hired me because I was like, I know how to pronounce all these names of these foods and I will advertise them. And, um, like I will make sure people buy this stuff because it's delicious. So don't worry. So will you take us now from Arkansas to the Middle East and read The House in Jerusalem? This is called The House in Jerusalem. This is the house my father called The House in Jerusalem. The house I don't mention to my Jewish friends who go on birthright trips. The one my father's father owned since 1932 and renovated into a boarding school for the blind. A house where they lived for one month before the Israeli army forced them to move. This is the house with the best views for shooting anyone in no man's land. The house that sat empty until the UN took over and hosted the mixed armistice commission to mediate Jordan-Israeli disputes. This house attempted to maintain the ceasefire but gave up in 67. The house where my 70-year-old father took me when he realized the situation would never improve. The house where guards refused our entrance until he told them we owned it. A house cratered with bullets, holes, and stone. The house he will never inhabit because he is not a Jew. Where I can only live if I convert. This is the house my father sold last year because its existence gathered him back. Not that the country welcomed him into its arms like the spinning of wool or assembling of children. No, I mean it pulled him back like the collecting of saliva and phlegm to be spit back and spewed through teeth. House in Jerusalem carries echoes uh, for me, maybe (laughs) for other people of the, the cumulative nursery rhyme, the house that Jack built. Here you found another way of telling a story, and it's deceptively simple. It's organized like a list, but the list implies an intricate chain of causality. What was it like for you? What was the process of finding this poem's form? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I I, I really struggled with how to um, tell these some of these stories um, and these experiences, and I think because because there's, I mean, as you can sort of see with, with the listing, it's not a simple story. Um, and even when I, you know, explain it to people, um, and they're sort of like, wait, what, how exactly did this happen with this house? And how, you know, how did your dad live there? And why, why can't he live there now? Um, it involves a lot of explanation and a lot of additional questions that come from the questions, um, where I still think people, 
there's confusion, right? And I think that is, I mean, I even just think of right now with um, the conflict going on in Israel and Palestine, right? There's there's questions. And I think that a lot of times people don't want to enter the dialogue because they don't want to admit that there are questions because it's, it's um, questions bring up more questions. And so I wanted to try to convey and personify this house in a way too, um, because in, in as simple way as possible um, so that people could hear it and um, and maybe get even sort of a semblance of like what, what this one house contained um, without going into any kind of the sort of deeper emotions behind it, even though there is a lot of emotions and I have a lot of feelings about it. Um, but I thought that just the house, the structure of the house um, could already say so much. That leads to my next question. This poem contains the extraordinary sentence, the house regards refused our entrance until he told them we owned it. And I can't hear this personally without also hearing an echo of Aretha Franklin's, the house that Jack built. I got the house, I got the car, I got the rug, I got the rack, but I ain't got Jack. Um, and this poem is simmering. It is for me, it's a very emotional poem. There are eight tight tercets of neutral observation that uh, feel like they boil over in the final couplet. It pulled him back like the collecting of saliva and phlegm to be spit back and spewed through the teeth. And such nice, good, hard consonants in those lines. Do you have any thoughts to share with our listeners on how to include anger in a poem in a way that invites the reader in or, or keeps the reader listening? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because I think it is, gosh, I have a lot of anger, right? Like there's a lot of, as, yeah, I definitely have a lot of anger. I remember growing up and um, my dad would go back, uh, you know, and see my grandparents, his parents, uh, at least yearly and how stressful it was. And I remember driving to the airport and we didn't know what would happen. And um, I remember him coming home and his suitcase would be slashed and we'd, you know, and, and, and hearing sort of what he went through um, in terms of getting there and then coming home. And, um, and so I definitely had a lot of emotion and it's really hard to, because I don't, um, because of how like charged my emotion is, um, I didn't want to turn off people. I didn't want people to hear this and dismiss it as just like, Oh, you know, this is just some like angry political rant. And let me just like put this aside and like, wow, like she has a lot of baggage, you know, like I wanted someone to be able to hear this and let some of it seep in. And um, so I do try to use the poetic form to, um, to convey the anger though in like a, I will say maybe a muted way through imagery. And I think that's what like Aaron, you brought up is that last image, right? About that, like, the collecting slive and phlegm to be spit back. And, 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 and that's how I always felt. Like every time he returned, I felt like he was being spit back. You know, it wasn't like, oh, okay, now you're leaving this country. No, like it was like, mm. there was a forcefulness in it and a, and a um, discarded feel. Um, and that's how I felt when I visited as well, that I didn't, I didn't feel um, the welcoming sense that I know a lot of people um, ha- do feel. Uh, when they when they go to countries that maybe their parents were raised in and grew up in, um, I felt very much the sense of um, I was not wanted, and um, and so I wanted to convey that um, 
as well. Because if, if I got that sense of not feeling wanted, um, that I can't even imagine, um, you know, what, what some residents might feel and other people that it's, um, and that I was there for such a brief time. And so I wanted to like capture that. It's, uh, and you certainly did. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm moved by this poem because of what Aaron was saying that so much of it is observation and sort of this tracking of all these details that lead to um, the emotion at the end. I also was really struck by how uh, it's not the only poem of yours that this this tension comes out between the the relationship between self and place and um, what how to navigate the 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 conflicts that come up you know and, and as you were talking your own sense of identity as where is it rooted to and that question of 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 finding that um, and I. I'm curious whether um, your this is this is a question about you and your father. Um, it seems like there's some anger from him too. You know that you must have responded to that. And but the poem's still about you and your own feelings about him, his house. But have you sh did you share have you sh did you share this poem with him or have you what is what is that like talking to him about this um, representations of his world. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, this, this piece, I haven't, I have not shared it yet. And I think it is. Um, and yeah, and that's really tricky. I think it's very tricky, right. To write mm -hmm. about experiences partially our own, but partially not our, you know, like, can we write about our parents' experiences? Can we write about um, other people's experiences? And, and is that our right to? Um, and so that also is a very fine line where I have a lot of stories I haven't written about, um, because I don't always feel like it's my story to tell. Um, but then it's difficult when you're like, ah, but who's going to tell it? <laughs> like, well, and, and you've made this, I mean, this is your poem. I, I think this is a good example of that walking into that. Here's my experience, but you honor your father's experience as well by telling yours. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's Thank hard. You. <laughs> yes <laughs> I think it's very challenging yes I, I agree I mean yeah <laughs> I hope you keep doing it um as a reminder to our listeners this is the Pive Poetry Collective on 90.7 FM KSQD in Santa Cruz and you're listening to um uh, Farnas Fatimi and Aaron Redford we're talking to Jen Saraganian current poet laureate of Los Gatos California and we will be right back after this short break And welcome back to the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Farnas Fatimi, and with Aaron Redfern, we're talking to Jen Siraganian, poet, writer, poet laureate of Los Gatos, California. And it's so great to have you, Jen. Thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, it's really nice to hear some of your work and talk to you about poems. Will you um, move us into your next poem, Monroe, Washington? Yes, of course. Monroe, Washington. Wrapped in dampness, we are soil alive with slugs and foxglove. Everything moves. The previous tenants evicted, only earthworms elongate across the screen. 
We see life and moisture. We speak of a house for chickens and horses for the stable, but first we haul. Heavy with wet, we sort hairless dolls, clothes sodden with rot, a mattress burned to the coils. Scrap metal in one pile, wood slats in another, yogurt tubs in a rusted bike in a third. Who knew that Lego spacemen don't decompose? <clears throat> Excuse me. These piles are not our own, but our work gloves dampen through. All is wet, wet, wet. Snails weave through ribbons of trash bags, three trips to Lowe's for PVC piping and copper caps. A doe sleeps behind a blueberry bush. Peeling shelf mushrooms from bark, I ask, can we eat this kind? It's too tough, you say, but it won't hurt you. You pluck crooked nails, we clear sadness from the house, find fluorescent orthodontic bands in the living room. That night we curl into sleep. Tomorrow, you whisper, we'll fix the well, and I see our shower fill with steam. That was Jen Siraganian reading this beautiful poem, Monroe Washington. Um, it's such a, an amazingly crafted poem and it's for our readers it's written in couplets um i it's striking how the, the wet and damp things slither through this poem like the slugs at the beginning um in the opening lines and then later the snails weaving through trash bags and the speaker utters the line we see life in moisture in the third couplet but um but wetness isn't just the promise of life, like the soil. It seems it's also the harder things, like the heavy, th the heavy with wet, or the spacemen, which won't decompose. Um, those those hard things which need to be carried into this new life in this new house, and um, it feels like the family is preparing for that new life. Um, this this poem feels like it's made of memory and past tense, but it's told vividly in the present tense. Um, can you talk about the genesis of this poem and, and whether it came from a specific memory or image or, or how you built it? Yeah, of course. And, and thank you for us for all the really kind, um, wonderful, thoughtful ways of, of seeing this poem and recognizing it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote this when I was at Community of Writers um, and that was a, a program um, I did in the summer that was a really rich uh, week uh, you spend with, with writers. It's uh, directed by Bob Haas and, um, and basically you're writing a poem every single day. So it's mm -hmm. very generative and it's very intense. And, and I know Farnaz is there as well and, and sort of knows the experience is really... Um, you're on this crazy adrenaline, like just, uh, it's exhausting. It's absolutely amazing that you come home and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and so, so I wrote, I was in this, this sort of weird headspace, right? Where it's like every day I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to write another poem for tomorrow morning. And what am I going to do? And, um, and I had just come back um, from, I, I was dating my, my now current husband and we, um, had just come back from Washington. Um, he basically had inherited this house from his family. And, um, and I sort of heard all about it and was like really excited to see it. And then we arrived and, um, and I knew it needed work, but I didn't really realize the extent of the work that it required. And I think I also had sort of romanticized this trip as like, oh, this is like 
one of our first trips together and we're going to go up there and um, be in this beautiful house in the woods. And instead it was like, this house had no water and this house had, um, it was, it was full of trash. I mean, as you could see, it was just full of garbage and uh, where the, the people who were renting it had really destroyed it. And, and some of it was really, um, uh, some of it was really intentional and some was just reckless and, um, mm-hmm. and so, so it was definitely a, a different kind of, um, it was one of those experiences, you know, where you have all those expectations and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to sort of reassess and re, um, figure out what, what this week is going to look like. Mm. Um, but then I also thought there was a lot, um, there was a lot in this poem that, that was about like love and, and really falling in love. And, um, I'm definitely, I believe in signs. I definitely, um, I'm, I'm not like a really, I'm not like a religious person. I don't, but I do believe in sort of signs. And one of the first things when I arrived here was I saw foxglove on the property and my, um, graduate thesis was called foxglove, uh-huh. um, because I actually wrote, I had a whole section of my graduate thesis that was about the, uh, poisonous properties of plants and sort of mm-hmm. the narrative and, um, histories of plants and how people would have all these sort of stories about, um, where we get names like foxgloves because people think like little foxes would wear the little flowers. Oh. So anyway, I remember when I, we arrived at the property and I was like, I had never seen foxglove in my life, right? I, mean, I named my graduate thesis about it and then oh. never seen them. And I was like, wait, are those foxgloves? And my husband was like, oh yeah, that's foxglove. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and it was just like, it was like crazy um, experience. But then it was just a really obviously tough experience of trying to um, clean out this house and make it, uh, hospitable and, and how I just so I was like I just want water so badly I just want to be able to mm. right I mean like we're so dirty and gross and I just wanted to like wash her and we were sleeping in sleeping bags in like the middle of the living room and I just wanted to like wash my hands and take a shower and um so so yes part of it I then it ended up being this kind of the work involved right uh when you do uh try to build something build a life with another person um but also the beauty in it too mm-hmm. and and sort of what that that's contained um and i was really i was really thrilled that this piece came together and um in the way that it did yeah and so and you started it at community writers and then worked on it after that yeah i did yeah so the first draft was there and then i i wrote sort of multiple reiterations of it to mm-hmm. really um start polishing it and um putting it together um, and sort of thinking of like, how did I, what did I want to, um, what did I want to really create with it? And, um, and that's why I started becoming more of this like kind of love poem. So I think it was written as like, you know, yeah. the more and more I was thinking about this experience and I was like, oh, right. This was like one of the first things we really sort of did together, but like a yeah. hard thing. Yeah. Um, and I but, think that's, I'm sorry. To no, go ahead. Up. I love, I love poetry that does this, that takes this messy and also uh, and appreciates and praises the messy and the the slimy and and so it's like this great example of what poetry can do to be to be praising all of it at once um <laughs> and thank you and it's interesting because i i didn't wouldn't have i i did not guess i'm glad to get that backstory about it being about you and your current and your husband but not at the point at, in that the unfolding of that relationship so right lovely and there yeah. is so much in this poem. It does seem like the kind of poem that until you know what it's really about, you don't know what to cut and what to keep and how to arrange it. 
So it's, it was really interesting to hear you tell the story of figuring out what it was about. Was it always in present tense? I think, no, I, I usually do write poems. Yeah, I play with tenses a lot. So usually I'll write about in past tense and then I will, um, you know, you always hear about that. Like you want to make your poems immediate. You want to feel like you're right there and you're still like, you're figuring out what's going to happen with the writer, right? Um, and so, so no, then I shifted it and, um, and then really played up to this idea of like the wetness, right? Because it was just, I mean, it's like middle of the summer, but how different, um, you know, Washington state where it's just like, there is this, there's a lot of life because it is so wet. And, um, but, but also what that meant is the wetness create, everything was so heavy, <laughs> like metaphorically heavy, but also physically everything was wet. So all the trash were picking up in the yard and in the house, everything just was like soaked too. Um, and, and so that was something I wanted to, to also sort of convey here too. Yeah, but it had it had a lot of resonance. And then we ended up buying a, a house that needed a lot of work, um, you know, in the Santa Cruz <laughs> Mountains. And so it actually, <laughs> which is why now a lot of people read it. I, I've changed the title a little bit. And so some people read it and they think it's they're like, oh, right, this is your house. I'm like, no, that's another house. <laughs> Redex, yeah. <laughs> that was another house that also needed a lot of, that still needs a lot of work, yeah. And we want to make sure we mention, Jen, that you are the new Los Gatos Poet Laureate. Congratulations. That's Thank a recent so appointment. Um, this is far from the first time you have worked to make sure poets and lovers of poetry have access to supportive community resources. And you, you talked a little bit about this um, before your Arkansas um, poem. This is, um, well, you've lost no time. You've already hosted a spring event, California Poetry in Bloom which highlights four stellar poets, California poets, who did not have a chance to go on reading tours for their new books this past year because of the pandemic. And um, we'll link to a recording of that event on The Hive. Would you say a few words now about what it means to you to be an ambassador for poetry in the community or um, use another word if, if ambassador isn't quite right, and maybe what you're excited to be working on over the next two years? Yeah. Thank you, Erin. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled. I am. I really, uh, when I became poet laureate, this was just, um, a short, like six weeks ago. Um, it's really, uh, it has been a very packed, you know, I hate to use a cliche whirlwind, but it has been sort of this whirlwind of, of events and invitations and, and, and meeting, um, new people in the community and, um, working with the mayor. And it's, it's really, the opportunity is um, something that I, you know, sort of, I think when I saw first the, the advertisement for it and the posting, and I thought, okay, this is something that um, really speaks to sort of my experiences and, and things that I really already love to do. Like I love to, to create community and I love to organize events and um, especially poetry readings, work with other artists and writers and, um, and so I saw it and I thought it would be sort of perfect. Um, and that's when I applied. And, um, and when I then was um, appointed it, I, I was really flattered and, um, but also very excited. I mean, part of when it, what happened to it, it also coincided sort of perfectly with their new uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, movement. And so uh, Los Gatos is really looking at a lot of the recent 
uh, anti-Asian hate crimes and a lot of the sort of the political rhetoric that has become so charged, um, especially in our community in the last uh, you know year or so um, with the election, with insurrection in January, all of that. And so, so there's this new campaign. It's called like, it, it's the learn, sorry, the listen, listen, learn, change, grow campaign. And basically it's this um, new initiative that the town is doing to really promote sort of a, um, a different, more inclusive feel. And I couldn't be prouder to be entering this term during this time, because I think that was really important. When I applied, I really wanted to stress that that was something that meant a lot to me, to be bringing in uh, different voices and um, the voices of, of poets um, that people might not be necessarily um, reading. Um, I mean, people not be, might not be reading poetry at all. So it's like, well, especially then, right? Like read poets who maybe don't look like you or don't speak the same language as you or um, are not coming from maybe the same socioeconomic background and that kind of thing. Um, and so that was very, very important to me. And so, yeah, so I had this reading last week, uh, California Poetry in Bloom, um, which was fantastic with Lee Herrick and Thea Matthews. And, it, um, and, and the timing of it too, right? It was on the one year anniversary of George Floyd's death and so it was like that in itself felt really potent um as well of sort of what um you know what to let i, that I think poetry right it's the sense that if like we're going to use poetry poetry need poetry is power and if we're going to put poetry out in the world um that it's of course there's the enjoyment and the beauty of it but i think there also needs to be some sense of um it needs to be doing something as well and so i'm really hoping that i can use this platform as poet laureate um, to to help in these ways of um, of greater awareness as well, um, and so I'm I'm really thrilled. So that reading was just sort of the first step. Um, I did a, an event with the new museum as well. They had a um, an art contest for Santa Clara County, and so that was really fun. Um, and their uh, their theme uh, was also this sort of like about change and um, of John Lewis of like this whole idea of sort of promoting again like social activism in your community um, and and so yeah it's it's been really really fun and exciting and and I the other thing is I get to collaborate with librarians who are my favorite people in the world like I love libraries and I love librarians and so when they were like okay like the main people are going to be connecting with and building events with or is the Los Gatos Library. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Um, so I couldn't be happier uh, because who doesn't want to work with librarians? I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, I was, can you, I was, I noticed that the Los Gatos Poet Laureateship is connected to the library and not all of them are. So it, it, can you, do you, can you say anything more about how that plays out? Like how that, it, is there a shape to the relationship already or do you get to develop that you're depending on what you want to do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty perfect in that way that um, I mean, first I can, I'm working with, you know, the executive director, Ryan Baker and Daniel Keough, uh, who's another librarian there who's just been instrumental in helping with promotion and all of um, sort of helping me along this path. Um, and so I can definitely sort of utilize all the resources of the library, which is fantastic, um, as well as uh, helping, you know, 
launch off from their promotional platforms and they're really active in terms of social media um, as well. And I mean, I think the, you know, the, the hiccup right now obviously is, is the pandemic is not over. And so in terms of sort of the reopening, right, the library is slowly reopening, the town is slowly like, you know, allowing, is reopening as well. Um, so there are, it's, it's probably not the easiest way <laughs> to start a poet laureate. Look, it's a three-year position. So luckily I have time to build it. And I'm excited about that um, because I think when I applied to, um, this was like in January and I was thinking, oh my gosh, like what if this whole year it's still going to be COVID and are all these events going to be virtual and how am I going to be able to do all of this? So, so it is still a little bit of a tricky situation, uh, obviously, because I don't, I haven't planned an in-person reading yet. Um, I'm hoping to do that in the future, but right now I don't know how people are feeling, you know, like do they really want to gather for readings and, um, and there's still more, you know, there's hesitancy. And even if we do an outdoor reading, that obviously is, which I've done before, but it's, they become a little bit more complicated. Um, so well, yeah. It sounds rich and I'm sure that you're going to manage it well, knowing everything you've done already. Um, I, we will, for our listeners, we'll link to your um, Poet Laureate webpage, uh, the Los Gatos Library site, and that will be in the show notes. Um, so please check that out. Again, you're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM. Uh, and I'm Farnas Fatimi with Aaron Redfern, and we're talking to Poet Laureate of Los Gatos, Jen Siraganian. Um, and I think to, to f- close up the show, um, it would be great to hear at least one more poem of yours. Um, and I think, I think there's one more that you have ready to read. Yeah. Um, it would be a great, and then, and thank you so much for not only reading your work, but talking to us in depth about the poems. Yay. Now I'm delighted to be here. Thank you again, Farnaz and Aaron. It's been really a treat. This poem was called My Uncle Offers Me a Cow. It's Christmas Eve in New Jersey. My uncle pulls me close to the grand piano. He doesn't ask about San Francisco or why I left my job. But when are you going to be a bride? I pick off the fuzz from my sweater, wish my glass held whiskey. He looks at me, grips my elbow and says, if you were in Armenia, they would take you and all the other single men and women. I think he will say, shoot us because the genocide stories start the same way. They gathered all the men, they lined them up and, or they took the children, brought them into the woods and so on. But no, I will not be shot. And you would stand in a circle, alternating men and women. Then you take the hand of the man next to you and he is your husband. Then each couple is given a cow. I snicker. You need a cow to start a family. You have until August. Why August? Why not? How can I argue with a man riddled with with tumors? A man who has eight months to live. I mentioned that sharing a studio apartment with a cow might be difficult, but he shakes his head. You're missing the point. That was Jen Saraganian reading My Uncle Offers Me a Cow, um, a poem notable for the the mix of um, humor and uh, tragedy 
uh, one more poem. We have time for one more poem. We're so excited. Maybe less tragedy, a little more humor to end with. Let's hear it, Jen. Thank you, Erin. All right. So this is another poem that um, is written about my favorite or one of my favorite. Okay, I, guess I, should, I should say one of my favorite um, delicacies in uh, Middle Eastern cuisine. Baba Ganoush. Baba what? A football player calls out. Next to him, a girl with Sally Jesse Raphael glasses slaps his arm. Instantly, I know I chose wrong. Did I expect my fellow sufferers of home ec to be kind, encouraging? It's the final week of class. Among cooking demonstrations of tuna salad and grilled cheese, my mashed eggplant and tahini slides around gray, amorphous, the Tupperware leaking an oily film on my fingers. Fluorescent lights sear. I curse my mom to suggest it. To bring a dish stinking of garlic in all of its glory. Sure, it's my favorite when my aunties spoon it onto my plate on Sunday afternoons. Yes, I swoon and dip triangles of toasted pita with eagerness. But how does that translate here? Pulling the sleeves of my oversized sweater over my elbows, I ask if anyone wants a sample. Not a single hand is raised. Thank you for that and all of your poems. But oh, another poem to make us think about the... Um, one's place and also to get us drooling about our next meal. <laughs> I'm ready to find my kitchen. Um, gosh, thank you so much. That was um, Jen Siraganian and um, uh, Aaron Redfern and I am Farnas Fatemi. Jen, it was such a pleasure to have you. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you so much, Jen. Oh, it was so fun to talk with you guys and to thank you for just being such great readers and listeners and um, just chatters about poetry. <laughs> True pleasure. Yeah, really. And um, you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on 90.7 FM KSQD in Santa Cruz. And we're so glad you were with us for another episode. Um, please look for us again on social media at on Facebook at the Hive Poetry Collective. Um, our website and blog is hivepoetry.org. You can find the archived episodes from all our previous um, shows there at hivepoetry.org. Uh, you can also find them on wherever you get podcasts. And um, you, can, you, you can listen to Jen's again, and also anything from the past three years. Upcoming shows include a show in uh, July with Carl Phillips. You can you can find out about upcoming shows on the Facebook page. And again, that's Hive Poetry Collective. Before we close the show tonight, we are happy to share one last poem from our guest, Jen Siraganian. And this is Jen reading her poem, Homeland. Homeland. Flight 796, Philadelphia to Tel Aviv. 11 hours, no sleep. I pace the aisles, allow my sister to stretch horizontal. One man, half awake, leans against the cabin door. His black kippa flaps over baldness. He smiles and asks, Is this your first trip to the homeland? My response, a partial lie, yes. 
but this will never be my homeland. The heat balloons fingers, my rings dangle from the leather of my wristwatch. My father's house, once in Jordan, now on Israel's seam, is guarded, framed with yellow pomegranate trees and a gate bearing the blue and white UN crest. During breakfast, an Armenian waiter attempts to converse. I stammer. You don't speak? he asks, now in English. No, I forgot it's been a few years. Bad Armenian, he shakes his head. On the way to the Dead Sea, the cab driver points to the white townhouses on the hills. See the settlements? They're full of Americans playing cowboys and Indians. He laughs. On a jet-lagged morning, my sister and I meet the lawyer. He unveils the deed. Seven pages sprawl across the glass table, and she mutters, we'll be stuck with this place forever. And that was Jen Siraganian, new poet laureate of Los Gatos, California, reading her poem, Homeland, and we're so glad she joined us tonight. I'm Farnas Fatimi, and just wanted to let you know of a couple upcoming poetry events in our area in Santa Cruz on July 11th, Sacred Poets at the Santa Cruz Art League, a restorative evening of poetry, music, art, and food in the garden. And you can find out more about that on eventbrite.com and look for Sacred Poets at the Art League. That is Sunday, July 11th at 5 p.m. Also in July, for the month of July at the Los Altos Library is a special exhibition of art and poetry by allied artists West and Monday Night Poets. And it is called What is Home? Hope, Heart, Humanity, a group, uh, a local artist groups working together to create an exhibition reflecting on the issue of homelessness and, and uh, our perceptions of what it means to be unhoused. And finally, one more announcement, and on uh, this is for the Virtual Veterans of Life Right which is open to all veterans, veterans of life, and veteran family members of any age, any military background, San Jose State, you, you, San Jose State students and non-students. All levels of writing experience are welcome. It's a small group by Zoom, and it is Friday, July 2nd from 1 to 4 p.m. You can find out more about that at SJPL dot bibliocommons.com. We hope you'll take advantage of the many, many rich events going on around us for poetry and writing. We're so lucky to live in a, a very, very busy hive. Thank you again for listening and have a great week. Good night, everybody. Yeah.